again. I noticed she didn't get up for nine o'clock. It was a bit early for me as well. Um, it sounds like a lot of good things have gone on. Have you had a good week? Yeah? yeah? Have you enjoyed the sunshine? Yeah. Who got sunburnt this week? Very good. It's good to be here. We are, um, if you're a visitor here today, um, this church, um, I'm not the, the minister here. I'm from St. Budeo Baptist Church, as already been said. And they're going through the book of Genesis. When I came last year and the year before, they were going through the book of Acts. Now we're going through the book of Genesis. Um, so it's all good. Good narratives, good fun. Um, so we are reading from um, chapter 25, starting at verse 19. Well, we didn't have this this morning, all electronic. Very good. It's on page 26 if you want to follow it in your pew Bible. The narrative of Jacob and Esau. This is the account of the family line of Abraham, Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban of Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated and one people will be stronger than the other. And the elder will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the, is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. Father God, we believe your word is powerful. We believe your word can penetrate even the, the hardest of hearts. And so, Lord, as we just spend some time in your word, will you just send your spirit to inspire us and to equip us, to challenge us? Show us something new about who you are and who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
My grandma loves reading. Every Thursday, my grandma goes to the local library at two o'clock and she gets her new book. She loves reading. She doesn't really like watching TV. She loves reading. And whenever I go and see my grandma, there's always a pile of books on the side. And so I said to my grandma, Grandma, why do you love reading? What makes a good story? She said, well, a bit of action. She says it's always good when there's a love-hate relationship. Um, she says it's good when there's a good plot going through, when there's a little bit scandalous. And she goes, and what makes it really good is when it's a bit raunchy. At which point, I said, whoa, I don't want to know what my grandma, you know, that's just wrong. 88-year-old 80, woman and raunchiness just plays with my mind. And so, but what, you know, what grips her is that, that, that plot, what's going on. And here we have a narrative, the start of a narrative that runs right through to chapter 36 of two brothers who are at loggerheads with each other. We have a narrative of scandal. This narrative is offensive. It lacks morals. There is conflict. There's cheating. There's anger. There's shame. There's favoritism. And running all the way through this is the sovereignty of God. Conflict, anger, lack of morals, fighting, cheating, favoritism. It's your life, isn't it? Who can recognize their life in all of that? Because this is one of the most, most lifelike stories that we can face in the Bible. All of our families have scandal in it. Like it or not, yeah, you can shake your head. <laughs> but the person next to you has got scandal in their life or scandal in their family there is lack of morals there's cheating there's bad behavior everything's gone wrong there's conflict and yet the sovereignty of God still works his purposes out does he not you can all testify that in despite all what you've gone through in your family life you can see the sovereignty of God shaping that yes working his purposes out, still blessing you when you don't deserve it. And that's what this story is about. That's what the story of Genesis is about. That's what the whole Bible is about. The sovereignty of God, working his purposes out despite humans. He will do what he wants to do despite human beings. Thank the Lord for that, because if it was down to me, it would be rubbish. And if it was down to you, Life would be rubbish. But praise God, it is the sovereignty of God who works. I want to share with you four Bs today. I thought it'd be good for you to remember four Bs. I don't normally preach like this, but um, you're, you're special. Um, so um, four Bs, okay? The first B is barrenness. We face this story and there is barrenness. It parallels that of Sarah and Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, they were promised um, a child, they were promised an heir, they were promised an inheritance, and yet it didn't come. And yet it didn't come. And they waited and waited and waited, and it, Sarah was still barren. And then there's the whole, you know, Abraham goes and sleeps with Hagar and all that. But there's barrenness. And here, yet again, there is barrenness. Something's not right. God has promised something, but yet Rebecca finds herself barren. And so Isaac prays. He goes before the Lord and says, my wife is barren. Always the wife's fault in the Old Testament, it's all right. The wife is, 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 is barren. And God intervenes just like that. God provides a, um, pre a, a Rebecca with a pregnancy. Firstly, this shows that life is in God's hands. 
It is not the will of a man and a wife. It is God's will. Life comes from God. All the way through scripture and in this passage, you will see that life comes from God. God gives us life. This whole passage constitutes 40 years. Okay, we read it in two minutes. It actually covers the space of 40 years. 20 years she's barren. She gets married to Isaac 20 years without a baby. In those times, just it's wrong. But yet at God's appointed time, Rebecca becomes pregnant. God breathes life. So that's the first B. The second B, for you all taking notes, is the battle. I wanted to say conflict, but that don't begin with a B. So um, battle. See, the whole passage is, is confrontational. There is Rebecca. She gets pregnant. Hooray! And the baby starts to grow. And I don't know what it's like. I've never been pregnant. But what I'm told, um, and you can, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the baby begins to grow and there's maybe kicking and punching. Doesn't feel, feels a bit weird, yes? Okay? Rebecca has a pregnancy where there are two people fighting in her womb. There's kicking, there's punching. She has no idea what is going on. If there was antenatal classes, she would have gone, excuse me, midwife, I don't know what's going on. I've heard about a punch and a kick, but look at this, arms, legs going everywhere. There was a huge battle going on in her womb. She could not take it anymore. She got to the point and she said, I can't take this anymore. I need to go and inquire of the Lord. So she goes before the Lord. What's going on? I can't take this anymore. Whatever's going on in here is not physiological. There's something going on in here. And God explains that this is theological. That there are two nations in your womb and they're fighting each other. But I'm going to do something scandalous. I'm going to make the younger, the older, serve the younger. I am going to take the low and the despised, the second child, because in those days, only the first child counted anything else rubbish. I'm going to take that lower, despised one. I'm going to change a nation. I'm going to change a culture. I'm going to change society. And that's what's going on in your womb at the moment. Sorry, Rebecca, you're the chosen one. You know, you follow me, you get a bit of conflict in your life. She goes and prays. She hears the inner voice. She knows that God is doing an amazing thing despite the conflict that is going on in her. She's called. She's chosen. God never breaks his promises, but they're never easy. And then the birth comes. Two babies are born. Now, I don't know what it's like. I, again, I, I just go on what I see on, you know, midwife programs and things like that. Um, but, you know, you, you give him birth. And you're all expectant. Now, you, now she knows it's twins now. Okay, she didn't have a scan, but God said there's two nations, so two people. And you give birth, and you want a nice baby, don't you? And the first one, says the Bible, comes out red and full of hair. Full of hair over his whole body. You would be my gosh. Now, wonder there was a, a battle in the womb. If, just. And then the second one comes out grasping, grasping the hill of Esau. Let me explain why they're called um, Jacob and Esau and what they're like. Esau, the first one, he is strong. 
He's the huntsman. He goes out and catches wild game. He's all what a man could be. And then you've got Jacob. He likes cooking and cleaning and knitting tents together. And that's Jacob. And yet, the the younger one is going to be served by the older one. A whole of culture is being changed here. Going against tradition, going against society, even going against the law. God is going against the law in this passage. The first one should receive all the inheritance, all the promise. And yet God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to pick up the younger one and use him. Esau is a man, um, if you read in Hebrews chapter 12, um, verses 16 and 17, he, didn't, he wasn't strong on the law. He weren't, wasn't really spiritual. He didn't care too much about spiritual practices following the Lord. You know, and, you, and you'll read this as you go through, that he went off and, 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 and married someone outside of the tribe, which was not really allowed in those days. But Jacob, yes, he cheats. Yes, he's a bit of a scoundrel, a scoundrel and a rascal. But he wants something. He wants something that culturally he can't have. You know, when you've got two kids... And one wants the other thing that the other one is playing with all the time. You experience this, don't you? You know, and the other one doesn't really want it, but because it's mine, I'm going to keep hold of it. And that's what it's like. Jacob wanted what Esau had. Esau didn't really want it. We can see that as we get later on in the passage. But Jacob, I don't know whether Rebecca had sat down with Jacob and said, look, you're the one that the promise is going to go through. That's why... Isaac favoured Esau because culturally he's the one, but yet Rebekah held on to the promises of God, held on to what God had said and, and favoured favored Jacob. And then we have the birthright itself. Now, the birthright is not particularly a spiritual aspect. And the birthright, all that entitled the person to have was the inheritance, basically. You are the heir. Everything is going through you. So that's what the birthright was. You are the one that will be the leader of the family. You are the one that people will look up to. So that is what he sold for red lentil soup. You know those days when you've done some hard work and you you really work hard and, and then you feel hungry? I feel hungry all the time. I don't really have to work. I just feel hungry all the time. But, you know, Esau came in for after a hard day. He had worked hard. I'm starving. I, I'm, I'm famished. I'm going to die if I don't eat. You know, the kids say that, don't they? I'm going to die if you don't feed me. I'm hungry and starving. I say that all the time, but someone said you could live 70 days without food and you still wouldn't be starving. Anyway, he comes in. He's hungry. He wants something instant. And he sold his future for something instant. It wasn't even materialistic because the birthright was materialistic. He just gave up his future. He gave up his inheritance for instant gratification. And that's what the birthright was. And then we see God in this story. The main player. We may think that Jacob's the main player, 
But you'll see that God is always the main player in the narrative. And we expect God to be just and fair. We expect God to be a God of love and working with the people that are good. And yet in this passage and in the narrative that you will, you will work through, we see God working with the scoundrel. We see God turning everything upside down. We see God actually working unjustly. We would think, oh, no, that's, that's not just. That's not right. But see, that's what our God is like. We try and put him in a nice little box, don't we? We sing a song with the kids. Um, don't put him in a box. Don't shove him in a corner. Don't you limit what he can do. Would you like to no, no. And we try and put God in, in this box. But God doesn't fit in a box because God works outside of that. So God, in this passage, he is outrageous. He's going against everything that he's told everybody else to believe in. He's going against kind of himself. Outrageous grace, scandalous grace, working through people that don't deserve the promise. Jacob didn't deserve anything. It wasn't nothing about, there was nothing about Jacob that warranted him to have the promise go through him. And yet God chose him. Outrageous grace. There's nothing about us that warrants us. But yet God chooses us and blesses us and prospers us, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. So what about for you? Firstly, I want to talk about barrenness. Now, you may not be sitting there thinking, oh, I want a baby, and I can't have one. Maybe you are. But there is always something in our life that is dead, that we really need God to speak into. Some of us will be sitting here today saying, God's promised me things, and, and I haven't received that yet. God has told me this is going to happen, or I want to do this for God, or this is meant to be working out, and it's not. I once was, a, you know, really on fire for God and now my spirit's dying or something like that. You need to pray like Isaac. First thing Isaac did in his passage was prayed to God because he knew that life came from God. And so whatever's dead in your life at the moment, whatever you need uplifting, whatever you need God to speak into, you need to pray. You need to come before God and say, this is dead. This is barren. God will speak life because God never breaks his promises. This passage is about conflict and about promise. And even in the conflict, God never breaks his promise. So what is it that you need God to speak life into? Maybe for a partner, maybe for someone in your family, a relative, somebody in the church. Barrenness, God can speak into and bring life. Then what about a battle? I've been a Christian about 20 years or so. Every day is a battle. I am sure that none of you sat here are not going through a battle of some kind or another. When you become a Christian, you are in a battle. 
God promises you eternity. God promises you blessings upon blessings. But he also says there will be a battle. You need to expect a battle. If you're not going through a battle, watch out because there will be a battle. The Christian life is full of battle. But in the battle, what do you do? Do you act like Rebecca, who comes before the Lord at the end? She can't go on no more with the battle that's going on inside her. She comes before the Lord and prays and seeks him earnestly. And God gives her what she needs. An inner voice comes upon her and, and an explanation is given. Not an explanation of why God is working like he is, just an explanation of what's going on inside her. And she's able to then in that battle keep going because she knows that she's called. She knows that she's chosen. She knows that she's carrying on the purposes of God. You will never get through a battle if you don't know that you are called. You will never get through a battle if you don't know that you are carrying on the purposes of God. Conflict is not always bad. We shy away from conflict. We don't like conflict. Conflict is not always bad because it helps us to grow. And in the conflict, in the battle, walk with God. Trust him. But you need to know you're called. You need to know that his purpose is on your life. Then what about your birthright? When you become a Christian, when you enter the family of God, when you make that decision that you are going to belong to him and he's going to belong to you, do you know that you get a birthright? Just like what Esau sold, you get a birthright of inheritance. You are an heir of the throne of God. You receive an inheritance, an eternity, you receive promises, you receive purpose. And yet, so many times, we give that up for instant gratification. It's like the time when you walk past the baker's and you see the cream cake and you think, I need it, I need it now, it's speaking to me, I'll eat it. And you eat it. And for 30 seconds of pleasure, two pounds. <laughs> two pounds just for that little cake. And that's what it is in the spiritual. We know that we've got this eternity. We know that walking with God is the best thing. We know all that. And yet, when times of trial come and temptation come, we, I can't get, I can't. I need to do that. I need to do that. Yeah, I can't get... And you, you sin or you give in or you fall out with someone or you do something for 30 seconds of pleasure. And I'm not saying that you, you lose your birthright like Esau did, but you lose that, that little bit of relationship with God and then, you, you know, two weeks' time you lose the two pounds and then you've got to work extra. It's just what it's like in the spiritual don't give up your birthright or don't give up what God has promised you or that relationship for instant gratification. That's what Esau saw. He saw the instant. He didn't see the future. He was giving up everything. He was giving up his inheritance. He was giving up his future, his leadership of the family for red stew. 
And we, we, can, we can laugh at that. But yeah, that's what we do. We lose our relationship with God for instant gratification. We don't wait. 40 years this passage covers, as I said. It's all about waiting. But yet, because we live in an instant world, we want instant gratification. But it ruins your relationship with God. Don't be zealous to keep your birthright, to keep that inheritance, to keep that relationship with God, to keep that seal of the Holy Spirit on you. Be zealous to keep that. And then you might be sitting here thinking, not me. When Esau and others looked at Jacob, when even Isaac looked at Jacob, they saw second-class citizen, they saw lowly second birth, despised, rejected, he's nothing. And you might be sitting here today thinking, well, I feel a bit like that. I'm old, I've had a dreadful life, you know, I'm, I've done messed up big time. I've done some awful things in my life. I'm not really worthy. I am a second-class citizen. I haven't got a very good job. I don't even work. God can't use me. Wrong. All the way through Scripture, God turns things upside down. You see, God sees you in a different way. God sees me in a different way. I can see myself as a cheat and a scoundrel and a liar and someone who... who enters conflict and angry and and all of that. But God sees me in a different way. He sees me as a child of God. He sees me as someone that's got purpose and and he wants to, I'm I'm his child. And he loves me and he cares about me. He doesn't see all of that. He sees me under the blood of Christ. And for you today, God sees you differently from how you see yourself or from how maybe your neighbor sees you. Because God sees things in the eternal and in the spiritual and we see things in the earthly. And maybe God wants to use you to do great and mighty things, to continue his promise, to work out his purposes. You may think you're lowly and despised. God turns things upside down. What did he do in the New Testament? We're going we're to come to it in a minute. But outrageous grace, the sinner. He lavishes grace on the sinner, on the publican, on the tax collector. He lavishes his love on, on the leper and the outcast. Because that's what God does. He turns things upside down. He's outrageous in his grace. It's not what we deserve. We don't deserve anything. But because of who God is, he gives us everything. That is what our communion service is about. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve to be in God's family. And yet God changed things and turned up things, things upside down when he sent Jesus and said, you do deserve it, because I love you. I've got a purpose for you. Hold on. Keep going. Don't be quick to give up your birthright. Pray in the, in the battle. And let God change your thinking and your understanding. Let him do outrageous things in your life. Let him turn your life upside down. That's what he did in this passage. And we see the purposes of God come into fulfillment. If you allow God to work in your life, you will see amazing and great things happen. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign and that despite us, you still work your purposes out. Lord, I want to pray for people that maybe have barrenness in their life, in whatever situation. Lord, we pray and speak life into those dead situations. Lord, we pray for those that are going through a battle. Lord, we pray that they will be like Rebecca and hold on to you, knowing that they are called and that they are chosen to do your work. And Lord, may each one of us hold on to our birthright. May we know the inheritance and the future before us and help us by your Holy Spirit to withstand the instant gratification. Lord, we thank you for your outrageous grace, your outrageous mercy that gives us what we don't deserve and doesn't give us what we deserve. Lord, may we know your purposes and your promises in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.